We left off last week with a question. The question was this. What can we do when we have nothing to say? More specifically, what can we do when God's waiting, awaiting our response and he has so clarified the situation that we have nothing left to say? We've been looking at Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 as a unit, if you will. And we used this little rope thing that we have going on here as a means to help us understand structurally what's going on here because there are so many things happening that we can kind of lose our sense of perspective. And so we've been using this to help us. And you'll notice there are three ropes that have been braided together. One is red. We have said that indicates Moses. Because one of these themes that runs through, that gets braided in, intertwined with the others, is the deliverance of the people of of Israel from Egypt. And you will recall that the night they were delivered, the night they were sent out, they first had to put blood on the doorposts. And that's why we chose a red cord to indicate the deliverance from Egypt, out of slavery. The blue cord is a reference to Psalm 95, which is also in chapters 3 and 4, intertwined in 3 and 4, written by King David. That's why we have a royal blue cord to remind us, oh yeah, that was the one about David. And in Psalm 95, he writes this psalm that comments on the deliverance by Moses some centuries earlier. And so we have that element just braided into these two chapters. But there's a third element, and that third element is, is referenced by the yellow cord because the writer to the book of Hebrews is clearly trying to get a point across to us that there are things to be taken very seriously. We must not miss them. And there are cautionary statements, and that's why the yellow that we have, again, just braided into these two chapters. One that begins with beware. Another one that says fear. And a third that says be diligent. And in each case, it's trying to raise our level of awareness that the things that are being stated in front of us are very, very significant things. And we need to pay attention to them because they have eternal implications. And as we have been following these things as they're braided and woven in among each other, we said last week, and then you come to this place where there's this thing that's just kind of hung there. There's been no reference to it prior. There's going to be no reference to it after. It's just kind of hung there. And it's this verses about the Word of God. And so in order to reference that, we've got a picture from one of the Pew Bibles of this actual passage. And we just kind of hung it towards the end of these two chapters. And the reason that we say it's just kind of hung there is after taking these three themes and interweaving them throughout the, 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 the two chapters, I should say, chapters three and four, we come to this abruptly, it strikes me, 
For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked, open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And it's just kind of there. We describe this actually as a dialogue that's being set up. Because at the beginning of verse, uh, of verse 12, for the word of God, it references the word of God. It says all this stuff about it through most of verse 13. And then it says at the end of that, to whom we must give a word. So we have this dialogue. God's going to give his word and his word about us. And then the dialogue is, the other side of the dialogue is when we are now asked to respond. We're going to be required to give our word in light of his word. But what we saw was that his word so impacts us and so reveals us and so opens us up in terms of what our real motivations are, what we really are about, not what we project, not the narrative that we set forth and try and convince everybody, ourselves, include us around us, how great and wonderful we are. God's word opens us up, leaves us naked and exposed before him to the very thoughts and intents of our hearts. It's going to be hard to respond to God when he makes it all so clear what we are really like. Maybe 10 years just pushed me to my limit. I have learned, regardless of the church, there are always people within the church who for some reason, from the day you step in, they begin criticizing and they will continue to criticize throughout your entire ministry. You will never get anything right with them. So I was in finishing up 10 years of ministry in the second church in which we were serving. And I think I just hit my limit. Paul had been one of these delightful fellows who always found criticism with what was going on, particularly with the senior pastor who was my mentor, a very gifted, faithful, capable man, and then with me following after that. Six years of listening to Paul have nothing to say but criticisms, often on things he didn't even understand. But boy, he was sure spiritual in his perspective, and he'd let you know he sold out for Jesus. And his commitment qualifies him to be able to criticize whatever he wants to criticize. Six years of this, and I think I, I don't know, got to the end of a sermon one morning, and I had selected this passage to preach on. He came up to me afterwards, and he opened up his Bible to the passage I just preached on, and then he said, 
You know, there's some really good verses right here. The verses immediately following. And I'm thinking, for the first time in six years, Paul, you finally are looking to have fellowship, sweet fellowship with me and Jesus. And just kind of sharing how good God is and what, how good his word is. For the first time in six years, I'm uplifted by this guy. Until he makes a follow-up comment, which becomes clear to me. You preached here. You didn't include these great verses. You missed it, Gary. Like I said, second church, 10 years of this from people. Was I tired that day? I don't know. Fed up? I don't know. So, I continued in with the spirit of, hey, we're having sweet fellowship here, aren't we? And I looked and I said, yeah, boy, you're right. Those are great verses. Do you know why? I asked very politely. Do you know why I didn't include them? And he looked at me and said, no. And I looked him square in the eyes and I said, because I chose not to. My tone changed. My expression changed. And he got it. Because his eyes fell. Literally, his shoulders dropped. To this day, I can remember Paul walking away like this. And I love, I love what that looks like in my mind, I'm telling you. I love every moment of it. Because I'm pretty sure when Paul stands before his creator and God explores the thoughts and the intents of his heart, I'm pretty confident that Paul's going to have to give answer to why is it that whatever pastor I called to be in the church where you attended, you spent years criticizing every single pastor? Who do you think you are? And he's going to open Paul up and let him see that the thoughts and the intentions of his heart were not always as pure as Paul thought they were that gave him right to bring criticism. And that moment will be laid open for him. I'm pretty sure there's something else going to happen about that moment. I'm pretty sure the day is going to come. I'm going to stand before my creator. And he's going to remind me of that. And when he tests it with fire, it's going to burn like that as wood, hay, and stubble. Very dried wood, hay, and stubble that will go up in an instant and he will say, there's no gold, silver, precious stone coming out of that moment because you were not gracious with Paul. You are not kind with Paul. And I don't care how fed up you were with him. Your spirit was intentionally looking to take him out at the knees. And I did And I loved it because that's the deadness and the darkness of my own heart. What am I going to say to God when he holds me accountable for the fact that I loved cutting Paul off at the knee? Well, here's the funny thing. The same scripture that says our thoughts and intents are going to be revealed to which we've said, well, what do we say? What do we do when we have nothing left to say? The same scripture instructs us what we do. 
The text goes on in verse 14. After saying that, you know, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The text then says, seeing then, verse 14, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. First, I'd just like to do is make a structural, come back to this, just for a moment, and you'll understand why we're tying all of this together. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. If we go back to chapter 3, verse 1, remember, 3 and 4 are hanging together. Notice where chapter 3 began. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He says, think carefully, think carefully about who this one is, the, high, the apostle, the high priest of our confession. Do you, get the t- do you get the theme there? He's the high priest, and we're to hold to a confession. That's, that's this clip. That's where the chapter, these two chapters began, this segment began, with this theme of this high priest and our confession, what we believe and hold true about him. Then when we get to chapter Three, chapter 4, verse 14, we're getting near the end of this. After the statement about the Word of God opening us up, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, there it is again, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You see that? This entire segment of these two chapters is describing for us who this great high priest is and calling us to embrace the truth that is in him, to embrace the truth that is revealed that we must own. Verse 14, seeing seeing then that we have a great high priest. We sang earlier, how great is our God. And we sat here in that moment if we were engaged in worship and we, and we thought to understand that and to, and to please God with our lips, to, to magnify Him and to exalt Him in His greatness, the greatness of His being. Then Jenny and Steve led us in a song where these, I wrote the lyrics down, you, you have no rival, you have no equal. What a wonderful name it is. Christ alone exalted in his magnificence. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Can we make one thing clear? Let's not confuse this. Here's a picture of him passing through the heavens, and Acts describes that for us. We call that his ascension. That after he had died, he he went up to heaven to offer his offering before the Father. That's not what makes him the high priest. You know what I mean? That worked worse than I expected it to. (laughs) He's not a high priest because he went up. No. The high priest was the one who once a year went in to the Holy of Holies with a sacrifice. Only as our great high priest, see, that was just a picture of what Christ would do. As our great high priest, he didn't go into the Holy of Holies. In fact, that curtain was ripped open, and that's like, okay, we're done with that. He went up into God's very presence there to make his sacrifice known. 
So he's a high priest beyond any other high priests. There's nobody who is like him. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, the only high priest who in his title, in his name, Jesus, his humanity, the Son of God, his divinity, the only high priest out of the entire Levitical system who ever was God and man, totally God, totally man, in this mystic union forever. There was no one like him. You have no rival. You have no equal. That's truth, friends. That's truth. So seeing that we have this incredible high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, the writer says, let us hold fast our confession. So what's the first thing that we do when we're confronted with the reality that the Word of God is going to lay us open? It's going to go to the very thoughts and intents of our hearts. It's going to prove to us that way more often than we realized our hearts were dark, our intentions were evil and ill And we are far more sinful than we ever realized. And God's going to make that clear. What do we do? Number one, step one, first thing we do is we hold on. Hold on. Let us hold fast our confession. Remember this high priest we're talking about? Who we are to consider him at this clip? Consider carefully the apostle and high priest of our confession. Here, we're now told, now that we've considered him, Just remember, when we're confronted and there's nothing left to say, we hold on to our confession because it's all we have is faith in him. We have nothing else to say before a holy, righteous God who examines us and opens us up and says, wow, I see a lot of stuff in here that isn't very pleasing to me. What do you got to say about it? I got nothing to say about it. I got Jesus. It's all I got because I'm desperately in need of him. Hold on to our confession. Friends, I'd like to, I would like to point out this needs to happen before we enter eternity. We're not going to stand before the holy creator God of the universe and come up with some cutesy answer at that point. I believe it was Bertrand Russell who uh, somebody asked, who was a avowed atheist, what are you going to do if you stand before God? And uh, he says, why did you not acknowledge me? And his answer was, uh, well, why did you make it so hard to find you? That's a cutesy answer. Real cutesy. Guess what? It's not going to stand. It's not going to stand because the word of God is going to open him up and examine the thoughts and the intents of his heart and find out that, guess what? It wasn't a question of whether or not you could be found. It was a question of, I had a carnal mind that's in rebellion to you and I did not want to bend the knee. And that's what's going to be exposed. Don't think we're going to get cutesy here, friends. The writer of the Hebrews is trying to point out to us, this is serious, eternal stuff that we're dealing with and we need to get it clear that Jesus Christ our great high priest will be the only one that we can cling to, the only confession we can make, the only words that we can say is I need Jesus and I thank you for sending him and he is my savior. That's it. We're just going to confess him because if we think we're going to somehow explain to God the ugliness of what he finds in us, yeah, well, it is going to happen because he knows better. I'm not going to fool him. So number one, Christ is great. Our high priest is great. Number two, verse 15, this, or this is developing that thought a little further. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Goes on to point out something more about our great high priest. He can relate to us. Having come, taken on flesh, he is Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God. Having done that, having walked here for 33 years, he understands what it means to live in this broken, dark world. He gets it. He can sympathize with us. We pray quite often for people with physical needs. Been praying just this past week for my friend Bill. Bill is a guy who put us in touch with you as a congregation 23 years ago. He's been serving faithfully in a church out in um, uh, West Haven, Connecticut, and this week, uh, due to cancer, had his bladder removed. Serious, serious condition. We've been praying for Bill. Many, many things that we pray about in terms of physical, physical needs. Jesus understood this. Remember when he was tested in the wilderness? He was tested to see whether or not he would withstand the testing so that he could qualify to be the one who goes to the cross on our behalf. And the scripture is clear in the gospels where it says he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Forty days he fasted. And then the evil one came to him after 40 days to weaken him physically. And the evil one comes and says, Hey, hey, if you're the Son of God, why don't you take these stones, turn them into bread? God wants you to meet your needs. He passed that test, refused to yield to the evil one. That was at the beginning of his ministry. How about the end of his ministry? Well, he was put to a torturous death. A death so excruciating. In fact, I think I've mentioned that. That's with the term excruciating. What does it mean? From the cross. We have a word that defines intense, horrific pain. Excruciating. And as they were, his executioners were nailing him to the cross, he's been completely humiliated. They're nailing him to the cross. What does he say about his executioners exactly? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, we would all accept the fact that he had every right to take him out at the knees like I took out Paul at the knees. See, I sinned. He did not. So he understands what physical pain and suffering is like. He understands what rejection is like. The deep, deep wounding of rejection. He was rejected by his brothers. He was rejected by his hometown. And John tells us in the beginning to his gospel, he came unto his own. His own received him not. He was rejected by a nation. The nation of his own chosen people. He understands rejection. Where you and I have felt that pain, we have felt that sting. Jesus gets it. He knows. He also, and perhaps this is the hardest for us to deal with, he understands injustice. Think about it for a moment. Think about the people 
in our own experiences with whom we have had a breakdown in relationship. It's tense. We maybe aren't talking. We maybe haven't talked for years. Might be people in the same worship center with us right now that we just make sure we keep a distance because there's this breakdown. We don't know how to put it together. I'd be willing to bet that at well over three-quarters of the cases, somebody's feeling like they've been treated unjustly. Oh, they did this to me. And now we hold that injustice. We just hold it inside for days, weeks, months, years. We nurse it. We pet it. We caress it. We make sure it remains healthy. We find injustice very hard to deal with. Who experienced greater injustice in this darkened world than Jesus Christ himself? Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest. Why did they kill him? What did he do that was worthy of death? And the answer is nothing. It was politically motivated. There were people who saw he was creating so much of a stir, it was going to stir up things around them. They didn't like its impact upon them. They said, this guy's got to go. So they find some guys to lie on his behalf and put him through illegal trials. And before the day is done, he's hanging on a cross. You don't think Jesus understands what it means to be treated with injustice? He gets it. That's why the scripture says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what it's like to to be in this broken world, but was in all points tempted as we are. He was tested on all of these things, tested to see whether or not he could indeed be our Savior and provide that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And it says, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he passed every single test. Christ, to whom we hold on because we have nothing else to claim other than our confession of him as our great high priest. He is great, and he can relate. He can relate to me in all of my suffering. So the first thing the scripture tells us is hold on. The second thing the scripture tells us in verse 16 is, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The next thing it tells us is, one, we hold on. Secondly, we draw near. We draw near to the one who has enthroned grace. Is that interesting? Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Think about that. Right now, grace is enthroned. Grace is available to us. Grace that looks at us opened up, exposed, naked before the perfect heavenly Father and says, man, we got some really ugly things here, but we also have a solution It's a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Draw near. Grace is on the throne, friends. Some people have a hard time with this. Some people have a hard time with this concept that that we are to draw near to a throne of grace. I promise you, that's the seriousness of of this text. It's trying to point out to us. The day will come 
We stand before a judicial God, and grace is not on the throne at that point. That day will come. But presently, we are exhorted that, th- that on the throne is grace. That God has provided a solution for us in Jesus Christ, our great high priest. He says, come boldly. Come boldly into his presence to receive, to receive what you need. We think of God as absolutely unapproachable and he's calling to us. And so, you know what? In his righteousness and holiness, he is unapproachable. But he set forth this great high priest through whom we can approach now. He says, come boldly. Get here quickly. What opportunity avails you? And it's going to be in this life only. Again, we don't want to enter into eternity and think we're going to come up with some cute answer when we stand before him judicially. Serious stuff that this writer to the book of Hebrews is asking us to get hold of. Come boldly to the throne of grace. God is approachable. Our daughter's having kind of a fun weekend at work. How many of you guys, I think I know one of his songs, can't say I know a lot. How many of you guys are familiar with the name Andy Grammer? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Is he a country artist? Is that what he is? No. Is he just more? What's it? Tell me about it, buddy. Tell me. He's a pop artist, okay? The only thing I know about him is he was on Dancing with the Stars two years ago, and I think he took, came in second. All right? This is what I know about him. Yeah, that's why I'm like, kind of like, oh, good, Andy Grammer, great. Is he good? Do we like him? He's, he's okay. He cancels you. Well, you were willing to pay money to go see him. All right, so he's good enough to go to Bemidji to pay money to see this guy. Thank you. That gives me some kind of standard as to where to measure him. Well, it turns out that Andy Grammer is doing a concert this evening at Bush Gardens in Tampa. And my daughter, Denea, had the privilege of going last night, picking him up at the airport in the Bush Gardens van and take him to their hotel, and they wanted to go out to a place to eat. So then uh, she was taking them over to a place to eat, and they said, well, you're going to come in with us, aren't you? And they invited her to come in. They paid for her meal. And she said, Dad, here I am. And she's a big fan of him. She says, Dad, here I am sitting right next to Andy Grammer. And we're just talking. And he's, he's interested in my life. He speaks like he's interested in my life. And before it was done, I just like I'm with a bunch of old friends because the whole band is there and we're just hanging out. But what surprised her was how approachable Andy Grammer was. Because he's a big enough name that somebody would go to Bemidji to spend money to watch him. (laughs) But he wasn't some, you know, rock and roll jerk that'd say, hey, I'm really cool and you just are here to serve me. He truly seemed to care and invited her into the presence of his band. See, that's what God calls out to us. He says, hey, come on in. Come boldly. Because grace presently is on the throne. And I want to be in relationship with you. Isn't this interesting? As we're wrapping up here. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace is on the throne. 
This whole discussion where he's, he's laying out for us that, you know, we need to enter into the rest that God offers in Jesus Christ. And he's, he throws out these cautionary statements that say, look, don't miss this. This is of eternal importance. Serious stuff we're talking about here. But where he ends this particular segment, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wow. Think about that, friends. See, there's a couple of things in this that are givens. There's really not a lot of place to discuss. The magnificence of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest. Earlier he referred to him as the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's pointing out how How great is our God? You have no rival. You have no equal. This is the magnificence of who he is. That's not up for discussion. It's up for consideration. He says, think carefully about this one. And when you've thought about it, make sure you hold the confession. That's not up for discussion. The other thing that's not up for discussion is the brokenness of our own lives. The reality that when God opens us up and he exposes everything, the very thoughts and intentions of our heart, There can be a lot of surprising little, you know, dark spots of mold in there. (laughs) A lot of little places where we go, oh, I didn't even know that, Lord. And God's like, yeah, that's the reality of, of who we are. See, so we have the need, friends. There's no question about the need. The question, and this is the exhortation through these things, is look, Israel missed it. There were those in Israel, they missed it out of disobedience, out of lack of faith. They refused to believe that God could deliver them, give them rest in the promised land. And he left them out to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to receive the gift that he was giving them of that land. And the point is, we need to be very clear that we've not refused the gift that God offers us of rest, eternal life in Jesus Christ. It is the only place where there's a solution, a remedy for the problem of our sin. It's the only thing that we will have that when we're open before him, we just cling to our confession of who Jesus Christ is. What do you got to say for yourself there, sinner? I got nothing to say for me, but I've got Jesus Christ. And I'm holding to him and to him only. Because if I try and speak cutesy on my own behalf, it's not going to work. And so we're told to come. Grace is on the throne, and we will find mercy, grace, and help for this need which is ours. I've been an irritation to some people that I find it so easy to speak about grace. I find it easy to speak about it. I find it very hard to communicate it. But friends, I've got to tell you, there's a reason for that. I've experienced this verse 16, to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've referenced the dark days of my life with you on more than one occasion. There were times going through those days when all I could say to God is, don't give up on me. Please, 
Don't give up on me. I know right now I am a wreck. But please don't give up on me. And God could easily have said, I'm just kind of tired of you. You're gone. But he didn't. I found grace, mercy, and help in my time of need. There's not one of us here who isn't right now having a time of need or has experienced it in the past or will have it in the future. Every one of us. Hold on to that confession. Draw near to that throne. It is the only hope any of us will have. Father, thank you. Oh, the magnificence of Jesus Christ, the wonder of Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest, our apostle, our Savior. The magnificence of what he has done on our behalf so that we now can come to you and find grace on the throne because Christ has intervened on our behalf. Oh, Lord, I pray that today we will come boldly. We will no longer put off confessing our need for the Savior. But we will say, Lord, I need what you are providing in this wonderful high priest. I place my faith in Jesus Christ right now. I make this confession of him as my high priest who's offered himself on my behalf. Transform us into his likeness as you save us from the death that is resident in each of us, Lord. I ask in his precious name. Amen.